What a good day in the Lord. What a good day. Now, before I say anything else, uh, I need to let you know that Tara and I did not compare notes. It's just what she said is a perfect segue into what I'm going to say. In fact, I was sitting there thinking, well, you know, she, I, I, think I, just, I think she just preached half of what, what I was going to say. But thank you, Tara, for that wonderful history. It's just a reminder of God's people. Thank you, choir. Thank you, guys. And by the way, let's, let's thank our music ministry, our worship ministry, uh, for all that they do. We appreciate them so very much. Uh, And I want to thank Brother Wayne for stepping in last week and, and preaching in my absence. Kim and I got away, had some vacation time, then had a weekend with our grandkids, two-year-old and three-month-old, while, while uh, their parents, my daughter and her husband, Stephen and Caitlin, they were out of town a few days. So Kim and I really took care of the grandkids. With that said, like, like never before, parents, I appreciate you. I really do, and that was what just, just came to rest on me part of the weekend, is how much I appreciate our parents. Young parents making sure their kids are here in church, thank you for that. Single parents doing your best, making sure your kids are here, making sure you're feeding them with the gospel. Parents of teenagers, middle schoolers doing that hard transition, trying to figure out what comes next, good for you. God bless you. I do appreciate you, and I know that we all do. Our, our history, our location history, is a history of generations, and we just sang it a little bit ago that God is faithful to all generations, and praise God for that, because it's really not about us, it's about Him. He's the one that decided there would be a church called Chapel Hill Missionary Baptist Church in 1837, planted then. He's the one in His, in his vision, His heart, knew that one day, someday, we would be sitting here just like this. He's the one that knew you would be here as part of this church family, maybe even coming for the very first time. Maybe you've been coming for a long time. Maybe your family has generations embedded in the history of this church. God knew that. God knew that. And God is always faithful to every generation all along the way, to families and to kids now and to those who will come ahead and those who have come behind us. God is always faithful to us. Let me pray for us. Father, we do pause in the moment and praise you and thank you for the refreshing reminder of your sovereignty and your grace, of your guidance and your mercy, of your wisdom, Father, in bringing us here. We thank you for the season that we can serve you together, and my prayer for all of us, God, is that we would be faithful to you in our season of ministry and for the generations to come. God, how I thank you and praise you, Father, for this morning for the worship that we've shared, for the fellowship that we share, but especially, God, for Christ that we exalt today. I pray, God, you take your word and speak to our hearts today. Remind us, God, who we are, what we believe, and why that matters. I pray, Father, also by the end of the hour, we would respond to Christ as you're calling us to respond. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So, yes, our history is a history of our physical presence, our location in Brunswick County and in Shalot, but also it's a history of our beliefs, of what makes us unique, of what makes us different, uh, and what makes us a church. It's a history of beliefs that we share with our forefathers in the faith uh, from 1837 and forward. 
because our, our screens, uh, our environment's different. We have screens today. We have blue chairs and not pews right now. We have technology that's different. We dress different. We look different. We, we listen to different music. Things are different in this generation than they were in 1837, yes, but our God is the same. And the reason we are here is because of the beliefs that we hold in common. And that's a remarkable thing because the universal truths of God and his word never change and are passed down from generation to generation. And now today we are stewards of those great truths. Our history is not just a history of location and physical presence. It's a history of belief, of fidelity to the gospel and to the Bible. Yes, as we've already acknowledged, and Tara mentioned just a little while ago, uh, our culture is shifting and changing, and those shifts and those changes are impacting Christian denominations and Christian churches. The, the impact comes from what is known as progressivism. It's the idea and an ideology that says uh, whatever is new is always better. So you, 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 the culture tells us, the church, the institutions of our world, the families of our world, we, we have to adapt to whatever is new. Instead of stating there are fundamental truths that are always true, we have to say, well, those are old things. We, we're going to adapt and adopt whatever is new. That's what progressivism calls us to do. And one thing that is changing in our culture and our generation is progressives and progressivism is becoming much more aggressive. Uh, no longer open to discussion, no longer open to disagreement. Either believe what they believe, adopt what they say we must believe, or we will be canceled, we will be ridiculed, we will be cut off, we may even be fired in the marketplace. That's the, that's the culture we live in, and that's the direction we're going. And that progressivism is, yes, infiltrating Christian denominations and churches. The one that stares us in the face is the United Methodist Church, whose leaders adopted progressive ideas of this generation. And as a result, the United Methodist Church, probably the most ironic name for a denomination in history, has splintered and is divided. I passed a church yesterday, I was out driving, and passed a, a formerly United Methodist Church building, and they had just taken spray paint and painted over the word United so rather than be part of the United Methodist Church denomination, they were a Methodist church. How did that happen? Why did that happen? It happened because of this idea that we must adopt everything the culture says and if necessary, get rid of what we believe. And, and, and before you're saying, well, you know, the, the, the UMC, United Methodist Church, they went the wrong way and... Uh, and we don't have to worry about anybody we know. Uh, just the last, just this past week, Thursday and Friday of this past week, Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley, the great Southern Baptist pastor and writer. Andy Stanley's the lead pastor of North Point Community Church. North Point Community Church hosted a conference uh, for parents of gay and lesbian children. Uh, now, the point of the conference was not to say, this is what the Bible says and, and we want to help you teach your child about biblical sexuality so they can learn to be who God created them to be. No, the point of the conference was to say, you need to affirm your children in their sexual orientation. 
And Andy Stanley and North Point hosted this conference, brought in gay and lesbian speakers to talk to these parents about how to affirm their child's sexual orientation. Not what the Bible says, but what your child says they feel is true. And that's the culture we're in now that's infecting and affecting our churches and our denominations. So this morning, I want to relate this to us, and I want to say very simply that in our history of beliefs, we stand on the shoulders of our founders. We will not change what we believe. Uh, the culture is changing, but our job is not to adapt and affirm the culture. Our job is to bring the gospel to our generation. The methods and the means might change. Yes, we have screens and blue chairs, but the message never changes. The message of the Bible is universally true and never changes. If you have your Bible with you, find 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2. The New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2. Uh, while you're turning there, just let me tell you, the, the church in a place called Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul is writing this, his second of two letters that God preserved for us to this young church. These are actually some of the first letters that he wrote after church were, churches were planted. He wrote back to this church in Thessalonica. And they were struggling with their identity, and they were struggling with very similar issues for their day. Uh, the culture says this, what, what do we say? And it's helpful to remember this was the first time the questions had been asked and answered about being Christians. They were very young in their faith and they were uh, saved and came to Christ out of, a, out of a culture that was antithetical to what Christians believe, even anti-biblical in, in nearly every respect. But here they stood saying, we have trusted Christ. Instead of calling the emperor Lord, we call Christ Lord. Instead of having a multitude of gods in our households, now we worship the one true God and there are no idols in our households. But they were trying to deal with how to live for Christ. And, and another question was, when would Jesus be coming back? I mean, believe it or not, in their time, they thought the situation was bad enough that Christ must be coming soon. And if you're like me, we look at our culture now, how quickly we are dissolving into chaos and confusion and immorality, and we must say, how quickly is it? When is Christ coming back? They were asking the same question. Look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and starting at verse 9. Paul says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working, with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. Now, starting here, I want you to pay close attention to just how much Paul's words seem to be a mirror of our own generation, describing our own culture today. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth, and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion, so that they will, be, so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth, but delighted in unrighteousness. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, verse 15 is our focus this, for a few minutes this morning, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we taught. Their experience in culture was very much like our experience in culture. They were being called upon to adapt to culture, but they were striving to serve Christ. And Paul says the definitive difference is the truth of God. 
those who reject the truth of God turn away from God. And God allows that to happen. He calls to people to come to him, but he allows them to turn away if they're going to do that in sin. But you who have chosen to come to Christ, you have acknowledged the truth. The truth about yourself, the truth about God, the truth about who he is, and, and, and the truth about the gospel. You have acknowledged that. You come to him. So when pressed on every side, Paul says, how should you respond? In verse 15, he says, So then, brothers and sisters, all believers, stand firm and hold fast. Those are the two things to do. Stand firm and hold fast. They're both actually military terms of the day. And what they picture is an army standing firm against an onslaught of the enemy. And it was a term, the first one, stand firm, was a term frequently used of armies protecting their homeland, their home city. So Paul envisions believers in Christ as standing firm, protecting the truth as the onslaught of the culture comes at them, but they stand firm for Christ. And then they hold fast to the traditions that have been taught to them, whether in person or in writing. These traditions, which is what our culture says, are no longer relevant and, and, and we should get rid of these. Paul says these are absolutely universally true. The traditions of Jesus Christ and the church passed down through generations. And Paul envisions those soldiers standing and holding fast to those traditions. You know, the image again is military and the terminology pictures a, a soldier in one hand the sword and the other the flag. In one hand uh, the battle is on and the other this is our identity, this is what we own, this is who we are. Paul says stand firm and hold fast. And he calls to every generation, to our generation as well, no, what, no matter what the onslaught of ideologies is, we stand firm and we hold fast on what we know to be true that's been passed down to us through generations and generations from the Word of God to every faithful church member in Shalot, before Shalot, all the generations. And we will pass these on as well to our generations and what comes next. And God will be faithful to us when we do that. Just like God is faithful to us now. Stand firm and hold fast. For just a few minutes, I want to tell you five things that we will always hold fast to. Five things we will always believe as we stand firm for Christ. Right here, First Baptist Church of Shalom. These are the things that's not new to us. The Bible says, uh, contrary to what progressivism says, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. It's just packaged in a new way. It's the same old ideas, the same old rebellion, the same old sin, but it's packaged in new ways. So standing on the traditions of the Word of God and of the church, that's, that's the right thing to do. This is our heritage of faith. This is who we are. And the five things I'm going to mention uh, serve something like a trunk because all of our other beliefs branch out from these. Everything else we believe comes out of these five things and we are rooted in these five things, and as far as I'm concerned, we always will be at the First Baptist Church of Shore. These are what we hold dear because they are our beliefs, and they were in 1837, just like they are today. First is that our Bible is God's Word. Our Bible is God's Word. The Bible you hold in your hand reveals to you and to me God's will, God's person, God's mind, and God's work. 
And when I say it's the Word of God, I mean it is the only Word of God. There is no parallel to it in another religion or another or a cult or another uh, institution. This is the Bible is God's Word. If you want to know Him, you need to know your Bible. If you want to live for Christ, you need to know how what the Bible tells you to do. And God extraordinarily reveals Himself. What's extraordinary about it is God chose to do that to reveal Himself in Scripture. And the Bible teaches of itself that the Word of God is eternal. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God remains forever. This is the, the book you hold in your hand is actually the eternal Word of God. It has no error. It's immutable. It lasts forever. It was just as true in 1837, 1937, 1952, as it is today. And it's not true because we believe it. We believe it because it is true. It's the foundation for who we are and what we believe. God's, your Bible, is God's Word. Now, that means to you also that it, there's, it's not progressive. It's not going to change. It's, it's going to tell you the Word of God tells you the truth. You may not like it. But the Word of God is God's Word to you and tells you the truth about yourself, about your family, about your finances, about your health, about your well-being, about the sin in your life. God's Word, God uses His Word to speak to you. Then you and I decide if we're going to apply His Word to our lives by His help or we're going to discard it like our culture has done. The other thing that means is that it's absolutely reliable. You never have to wonder or worry if suddenly the Bible is going to change, not mean what it means, not apply to you. No, it's absolutely 100% reliable because it's God's Word. Our Bible is God's Word, and it's the only location you will find God's Word. Secondly, our God is the only God. This is fundamental to what we believe. Our God is the only God. The Bible teaches a couple of important things about God, and it's revealed throughout the Bible. That's how important this is. It's re revealed throughout Scripture, and it's incompatible with any other religion or faith or belief system. Uh, the first of those things is that God is our creator. That's how he introduces himself. He created you. He created this world. He is a designer and a creator. And throughout the scripture, we learn that his nature is that he is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is absolute. We are the only religion in the world that believes that, but it's absolutely critical to understanding who God is and how he behaves in your life. Our God is the one true God. You say, well, what about Islam? Well, I'm sorry. Allah, the, the God that they worship, is not the God of the Bible, and therefore is not the one true God. So, well, Pastor Bob, that sounds kind of narrow. Well, I got it from the Bible. So, there you go. Third, our problem is sin. Our problem is sin. God is our creator has revealed who we are. Who we are as he created us, male and female. Who we are, and, and, and now he's revealed what the problem is. The problem is sin. The Bible says all people have sinned and come short of God's glory. Nobody's excluded from that. All human beings 
have this sin nature, this condition. And we are sinners. So we rebel against God. And we've been doing it from since Adam and Eve left the garden. We have been rebelling against God. It's the reason we're so confused about our nature. It's the reason we're so confused about what's true and what's right. It's the very reason that we will exchange, as the Bible says, the truth for a lie and adopt the lie as if it were true. Because sin is our problem. And you say, well, Pastor Bob, what, what about theft? What about murder? What about disease? What about um, all the horrible things people do to each other? Human trafficking. What, what about all that? All of that is horrible. Yes, all of those are sins. The reason we do those things is we are sinners. That's our problem. We are sinners. Sin is progressive. It always has been. It is for you, and it is for me. If I let a little sin in, you know what happens? Pretty soon I'm like, you know what? I ought to let a little bit more sin in. I ought to let just a little bit more sin in. I'll do that. That's okay. I'll just do it one time. That's all right. And if we don't experience any consequences from those sins, or if we don't believe what God says about our sin, we just keep snowballing into that sin. Last week in Philadelphia, a gang, gangs spread out through Philadelphia and looted several stores at the same time. That should not have been a big surprise, as horrible as it was, not a big surprise. Why? Because it's a progression it, from looting one store here, one store there, from, from that, that came from petty theft. And when, when sinners, criminals, don't have consequences early on, they just progress, and they just get worse, and it gets worse because that's what sinners do. That's how we behave. The law exists because we're sinners. Military exists because we're sinners. And when we ignore that and ignore the consequences of our sin, sin is progressive. That you can count on. So we have a sin problem. That's our number one problem. And you have that problem too, just like I do. So what are you going to do about that? Well, that leads us to the fourth, the fourth thing. Our Savior is Jesus. Our Savior is Jesus. Our Creator came in person to us to die on the cross for us and to give us the opportunity to be saved from our sins. Our Savior is Jesus. The book of Acts says He is the only name, the only name by whom anyone may be saved is Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. God did that for us. You can't save yourself. I can't save myself. You acknowledge you're a sinner, then you also acknowledge you need salvation. And how does that happen? Well, you, you receive Christ as your Savior. You admit to God that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. This has always been true. Jesus Christ is the only way to have a relationship with God. The only way. It's by repentance of our sin and by trusting Christ as our Savior. That's the gospel. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he came to tell us that, to die for our sins, and God raised him from the grave so you and I can have eternal life, and anybody listening can have eternal life and be saved. This is what we stand on. This is what we speak. This is what we preach. This is the truth. And because of that, the fifth thing that we stand on is the reason First Baptist Church of Shalot is here in the first place. Our mission is clear. Our mission is clear. Go, therefore, 
Jesus said, Go therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have taught you. And he said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. As long as God keeps us here, that's what we're here to do. And to be honest with you, that kind of rules out a lot of other stuff, doesn't it? We're not here to make ourselves happy. We're not here to, to live our best life now. We're here to serve Jesus and to serve the gospel. Sometimes that means heartache and struggle that we go through, yes. But remember, he's faithful to every generation. But we are here to reach our world for Christ. Imagine what it would be like to fulfill the great commission to reach our world for Christ in our generation. Wouldn't that be amazing? And it's not going to happen unless we're all participating in it. Our mission is very clear. If we believe the first four things, then we have to believe the fifth thing. That our job on planet Earth, in fact, the reason members of First Baptist Church, Christians, the reason you're even still here, have you ever thought about this? The reason you're still here is to populate heaven, to reach people for Christ. That's why we're still here. In the short time we have, we should be standing for the truth. Stand firm, hold fast, do what God has called us to do, and preach the gospel for Christ. Every church like ours is an outpost for preaching the gospel, and every church like ours calls people to Christ. We know he is a loving shepherd, and he wants us to be a part of that. He wants us to let people know God created you, God loves you, God wants you to come home to him. So we do that. We call people home. We, we feed the hungry. We help the needy. We remind people of the love of God in Christ. These are things that do not change. It could be something you need to hear now. That God does love you. Maybe you don't understand the way your life has been going. Maybe it's been harsh and hard and difficult. God loves you. And he can work through you for somebody else's life. But he hasn't given up on you. And he loves you. That one line of that song, let it echo in your head. God is faithful to all generations. Lee Eklob is a writer and pastor. Very popular. Has a podcast. I uh, told a story recently. He grew up in South Dakota, in a really small town in South Dakota, about 1,200 people. He said the cattle outnumbered the people in the town he grew up in. And he said in, in that area, South Dakota, it's cold. And winters can be brutal. And one of the most brutal things that can happen and, and temperatures below zero, suddenly a blizzard will come. Uh, almost no warning, but blizzards hit suddenly. Now, he said in their small town, in their area, uh, there were like, all the kids went to school together, and there were like eight school buses when he grew up there in the 1940s and 1950s, and the school district knew that if one of those blizzards came in, that there was no way to get those buses out and get those kids home. Some had to go pretty far out to, to, to get the kids home to where they needed to be. So the school system devised a plan in that small community uh, they got homes and families and parents to agree to take other parents' kids until the storm passed. How long ago, Eklov said he was back in his hometown for a reunion, and a young man, a man his age, walked up to him, and they renewed their relationship, their friendship from school. They remembered one another. 
And the guy said to Lee Eklov, he said, I don't know if you remember this or not, but your house was my storm home. And he said, that's what they called it. Because every kid had a house and a family that would take them in during the storm came to be known as their storm home. Shouldn't that be the church? Shouldn't that be the church? We preach the gospel to our generation. Go and make disciples. And at the same time we say, come to us if you need to. We're, if there's a storm in your life, if, the, if it's harsh and it's hard and it's difficult, come here. Let us tell you about Jesus. Let us pray for you. Let us love on you just a little bit. That's why we're here. So think about that on this homecoming. That this is your storm home too. For some of you, it's been your storm home for your family for generations. For some of you, you just showed up on this homecoming Sunday. All these things are why we are here. Not because of us. It's because of Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, how we thank you for the vision, the heart of our forefathers in the faith that started First Baptist Church so long ago. We thank you, God, for the changes over the years. We thank you for your faithfulness to every generation. We thank you, God, for your help in times of heartache and need, uh, for your wisdom and insight in making decisions. We thank you, God, for being with believers in the heritage of faith in times of healing and restoration. At times you've called us out, we thank you for every person that you've saved in Christ. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you, God, that we share these beliefs from every generation. And I thank you for each one who is here and at home this morning. As we tune in right now, as we listen to you, as our hearts are open, God, how we pray, we would realize this is our generation. This is our time as well. And maybe there's one or two in this room or at home that need to make a fresh decision for Christ. We know that we're Christians. We know that we're saved, God, but we need that fresh vision to serve you in our generation, in our season, right here at First Baptist Church. You brought us all here for a reason, God. Help us to renew that commitment today. And I pray for that one or two here at home that's never trusted Christ as their Savior. That God, today they put all their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, confess their sins, and receive Christ and follow Him as Lord today, God. And I pray this prayer out loud for those who would pray it in faith with me to trust Christ today. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself. I know your word is true. And I know that you are faithful and you are the only way to be saved. So, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive today. And by faith, Jesus, I ask you would forgive me of my sins. I confess I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of unrighteousness. Come into my life. And Jesus, from this point forward, I will follow you as my Lord. My life. For all of us, God, I pray, whatever decisions we need to make on this homecoming Sunday, Father, you would lead us to make those decisions today. That all that we do and say would glorify Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray.